3: Tame and tame and tame again.
0: Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all
4: night! The purest co-commentary of all time, Formula One Cup Finals, Jonathan Pierce's multi-generational set piece Woes, officially welcoming the doubler to the language of football, Scontro Salvezza. And the previously untold story of how three teenagers with a handful of 20Ps and a copy of Championship Manager 9798 almost turned the world of football transfers on its head. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 98 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me first of all is Nick Miller. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Not bad, thanks. Going to hit you with this one straight away. Stefan Biankowski on Twitter pointed out this weekend that Joe Cole, who was on punditry duty for Chelsea versus Manchester City, declared that the game would be a cat and mouse game of chess. Um, I, Which I, I quite like how he's mixed up. I mean, if, if you put them together, it, it, does, it, it does it does have a kind of cumulative effect of what you're talking about. But um, all it did was conjure in my head the next question. Who would win a game of chess between a cat and a mouse?
1: I mean, I, I my thought, my brain went instantly to Tom and Jerry, so it's got to be the mouse, I mm. think. Uh, and and it, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't necessarily be Jerry or slash the mouse would, you know, get checkmate or whatever. He would engineer something so there was like a massive hammer in the night or something, and just smack the <laughs> smack the cat over the head with it. And when uh, those kind of cartoon uh, bumps would appear on on poor old Tom's head,
4: yeah, Tom would lose it. And like petulantly throw the board up in the air or something like that. So the game, the game wouldn't yeah. finish. But, um, but yeah, would you be interested to see Joe Cole do the punditry on that nonetheless. But welcome, welcome. Um, alongside you is David Walker. How's it going? Yeah, good. Very well. Uh, you were at Watford. I was. For what was described as a breathless... One-one draw with Newcastle. Was it breathless?
2: Um, I've told a few people this already, and their reactions have been incredulous. But when Watford scored the goal that went on to be disallowed for correctly for offside, Josh King in the 87th minute, I nearly fainted. What? Wow! <laughs> like I don't know what wow. happened, but like I, you know, I just felt really lightheaded. You know, like I don't know if you have ever fainted before, but some, you know, you, you sort of your your vision just starts to go very. You can sort of imperceptibly feel that your eyes, something's wrong, your eyes are sort of funny. Mm. And I just had a, it was only for like three seconds. I, but I was go- all the while I was sort of screaming my head off and going mad because I thought we'd won this game out of nowhere. But luckily I was on the last seat in the row and I had a metal thing next to me that I literally just held on to for dear life for three seconds and then sort of was fine. But yeah, it, I also as well, it was a very strange experience because I bought a ticket last minute and there was literally like a handful of tickets left in the stadium. And the one I ended up with was right in front, literally right in front of the Newcastle fans who... About mm. two thousand and all, all of them, or whatever, and they didn't stop chanting and doing all the songs. They were brilliant for for the. What for was the, the whole ratio game. of shirts on, shirts off? Weren't that many shirts off really, but there was. Although oh, I did see a very large man took his shirt off when they scored their goal. Um, but I, I, was so close, I could see into their eyeballs. Like I, they were they were <laughs> staring at me. Wow. And I was in a part of the ground where quite a lot of kids and family, So I sort of took it upon myself to be like the chief. Provocateur to to the Newcastle fans, which in the aforementioned VAR incident left me very much with egg on my face after I celebrated the goal twice, <laughs> thanks to the referee's oh my shoddy God. shoddy arm movements. He looked like he gave the goal, but he hadn't. And then uh, it was uh, it was a shambles. But um, but yeah, it was uh, it was breathless, very much so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, surprised to see away fans, nearly fainted. Uh, congratulations on going
4: to your first ever football game. <laughs> what? What do you think in the Victorian era? What do you think era? the <laughs> etiquette would
1: be if, if the away fans were that close? If you actually had fainted, you know, you passed out, you topple over the the barrier that you're you holding onto, and presume I, I assume there was some kind of one of those that's sheeting in between the the two fans. You fall onto that, you've passed out. What's the etiquette for the away fans at that point? Do they? Do they kind of rib you mercilessly, or do they go, "Oh Jesus, actually, this is serious. Let's um, um, you know, let's help them out." I think quite possibly they might pick me up and throw me around like a
2: beach ball. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the same rules as when someone goes down with cramp;
4: yeah. the opposition uh, should lot should are help, sort of duty bound yeah. silently to go and help you, yeah. even though they don't know why. Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's similar, but. um Yeah, yeah, tarpaulin potential dramas worth worrying about. The reason I ask, the reason I brought this up in the first place, of course, I realise people listening to this maybe... Concerned that we are the 17th podcast to have got to this, but it doesn't matter. This is BBC Radio Newcastle's John Anderson um, reacting to Jacob Murphy squandering the chance to win the game for Newcastle, and it's sensational.
2: Mr. Run and does. Can he play a colleague through? It's Jacob Murphy released. Murphy one on one. Jacob Murphy to
0: win it. Oh, oh no. just put it in the oh, net.
4: No. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dave, obviously. Uh, On the face of it, this is is utterly sensational. But I put it to you that there is absolutely no other type of finish that could have elicited that response
2: from John Anderson. Yeah, it was pathetic, wasn't it? Like it, and I I was screaming absolutely at top top of my lungs to Peter Atibo, who was the 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 the, the player chasing Jacob Murphy. I was just bring him down, foul him, take him down, take him down. We're all Roy Keane yeah, at this moment. Just do obviously. it. Just, yeah. just. It's the last minute. Just, just do it. Let's do it with the soul again. You know we needed that. Um, but yeah. And then I was convinced he was going to score. Yeah, you know freedom of oh, the half well, yeah, and any right. any sort of firm contact of the ball probably would have. But he tried to do a little pathetic little dink.
4: Well, yeah. I mean, Nick, what type of finish could anger a an ex pro from the nineteen eighties more than an attempted dink finish in the latter stages of a game? That's delicately poised at 1-1.
1: Yeah, and our uh, our, our colleague Alan Shearer, on the match of the day said something along the lines of just put your foot through it. Just I mean <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's there's no other there's no other rational or reasonable response to, to that kind of finish I think. Just yeah, just put your foot through it. I I I've
4: decided Um, in retrospect, that it's some sort of government conspiracy that Jacob Murphy's been roped into to turn us all into proper football men, like to find the point at which we all turn into proper football men. And I think that's the closest we've got. Um, More on that theme very shortly. The first up for the adjudication panel this time. Nick, with a heavy heart, I must announce that Formula One is at it again. This is from CCMU, who says, some solid work from Red Bull Racing's Christian
2: Horner on Channel 4. Now look the next 12 weeks will determine whether we win a championship or not. And we've got eight cup finals, basically, to ensure that we deliver at our very best. Now, I could be bothered to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure
4: that Formula One has done this before on this podcast. So we may be retreading our ground, but um, I'm not happy with cup finals in Formula One. I, I would even go as far to say that Formula One is the furthest sport away from the concept of a cup final that it's possible to get.
1: Yeah, uh, and also... The, the 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 sort of nature of it, it is but the nature of formula 1 as i understand it and i do my very best not to understand it <laughs> each each race is treated as quite a, as quite a significant discrete event so if in their version of what a cup final would be is just every race anyway isn't it i don't know as i said i've done my best not to really understand <laughs> uh, formula 1 now, so
4: I, the principles kind of there dave because um his his driver which i think is um, max verstappen He's obviously trying to win the drivers' championship, so the the parallels are sort of there. But but I still don't like
2: yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think where it sort of falls down is the point scoring system in F one. Is there such a range of outcomes mm. that mm. it's it's not, def, not not definitive necessarily at all. Um, you know, because it's not make or Hamilton, break eight yeah, times. And, it? it's not, it's, and it's yeah. also not a direct head to head. There are loads of other drivers and teams involved. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true, too. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't Don't like it. it. Tell you um, what it brought to mind for me, though. And this this is the effect that this podcast is having on my on my brain. <laughs> um, Good. It just, you know, immediately brought to mind Phil Neville because Phil Neville has been, as we know, has been using the old uh, cup finals routine in, in almost every game game that he loses in MLS at the moment with the hapless Mm. Inter Miami. And it just sort of made me think about like an alternate, well, not even an alternate universe, but just literally perhaps the events of future years you could easily see David Beckham at one stage in his life deciding to be involved in a Formula One team. And then who would be the team mm-hmm. principal, but none other than Phil Neville?
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes, he, I can, he's, he's earnest enough to be Formula One, actually. I can see him in, giving a sort of grave appraisal of his team's chances in the pit lane beforehand. I don't know. But yeah. Um, I, but, you know, in revenge, I feel like, Nick, we should, we should we should stop using pole position when a team might sign a player. Just in protest. That's it. We're not going to use your phrase anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's this I mean, I don't know whether we are overestimating the power of this podcast that we can uh, you you can sort of put forth edicts like that that you know.
4: No one else is doing it, that's all I've <laughs> said. No one else can be bothered. Okay, more familiar ground for the Football Cliches podcast, Dave. Um, although I am slightly concerned, much like fossil fuels, that the supply of David Seaman chuckles may be showing signs of running out. He was uh, interviewed alongside Aaron Ramsdale after the latter's heroics against Tottenham on Sunday afternoon. It was a predictable type of banter. I just, it, it just gave me the first signs that maybe he won't be chuckling for much longer.
1: Obviously such a, a legend at this football club, but in England as well. So I uh, finally got the chance to meet him and uh, hopefully sooner rather than later we can sit down and have a chat.
3: Is
2: oh,
1: he yeah. somebody you used to watch a lot as a young goalkeeper, Aaron?
2: I'm not that old. Sorry, he asked me about
4: that one. (laughs) Just, little little dregs of chuckles from Seaman there. Just, I, I, I'm starting to think he might be bored of chuckling. Might be finally bored of it. Do we
1: think that? I mean, has has the chuckling been a front all along? Do you think? And this, it's this is what it's taken to kind of finally chip through the facade, that. What, Aaron Ramsdale suggesting that he's just too, too young to have witnessed
4: David Seaman in his prime? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, uh,
1: Maybe. and you know, un- underneath all the chuckling, David Seaman has just been a, a deep sea of melancholy all along. <laughs> this is it. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Yeah, But yeah, Dave, you got you, do you fear for
2: Seaman? No, I think he's crisis-proof. There's no chuckle crisis Uh, here i don't think i think that was that was still that was still hearty enough for me to 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 not worry too much
4: i mean suggesting that um one party in a football conversation is 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 older than the other person is i mean that's that's very comfortable football banter territory maybe i'm maybe i'm reading too much into this maybe we are safe as houses and you
1: would you would have thought that seaman obviously he he, he, arguably the, the peak of his career was when he was older than a lot of other footballers so you 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 would <laughs> assume he's kind of you know pretty fine with that mm.
4: yeah he's a goalkeeper he's got a margin for error there he's, he's not old until he decides so
2: uh, yeah okay but, but, but uh, yeah, the way that important to keep an the eye the way that it. Ramsdale said that though it was like he, normally it's kind of the other way around he wasn't sort of he was like saying oh I'm not that old it was almost like I'm he was insulted by the thought as opposed to <laughs> sort yeah. of having a dig at Seaman for being old which was a strange way round. you just don't yeah doesn't like the idea of maybe
4: hitting his late 20s and reaching his goalkeeping Yeah, because he's not old. That's the the
2: sort of thing that you say when you are old. I'm not that old when you actually are nearly that old but he's actually young. He's obviously not that old
4: No, it's very true, very true Just just re-emphasising the difference in age between him and David Seaman. Yeah, just just to roam at home even more Speaking of uh, old people um, sounding slightly disgruntled, here's Jonathan Pearce's commentary on Match of the Day for Aston Villa's goal against Manchester United
1: It's a good delivery into that area who was standing on the near post? Modern game? No one. And that's why there's a goal. Put a fallback on the post. Why, if it worked so well for generations, should it not work now? He doesn't mind. Villa are ahead. <laughs> Nick, it was kind of
4: understandable textbook Disgruntlement for a bit, and then it's then he started talking about it being okay for generations, and that was the real twist for me. And that's where it really went into a different realm altogether. There's
1: also, there's also it feels like there are two competing like football truisms uh, here because that was obviously a header scored at the near post, and as we know, goalkeepers should never be beaten at the near post. So, yeah. so where what is it? Does the keep if the keeper shouldn't be beaten in his near post? What does he need the guy uh, the the, the uh, defender standing on the near post? Uh, what to do well,
4: I mean I, I mean, you've raised a very interesting um, extra concept there but I would say the being disappointed to be beaten at
2: your near post phenomenon Dave does not apply to corners and headers no I don't think so because the goalkeeper's not standing at the near post mm. that's, the, yeah, come that's on. the issue yeah
4: let's be fair yeah. let's be fair
1: yeah, all right. um, yeah fair enough fair
4: enough if anything it's harder because it's the reaction times and mm. that. but yeah it's more positioning but yeah let's let goalkeepers off with that one, but let's not let Jonathan Pierce off, <laughs> Dave, because um, it, it just went on a little bit longer than it ought to, especially for Match of the Day highlights. I mean, they probably, they could have edited some of
2: the, some of the irritation out, I feel. I mean, it's just such a classic criticism. But the the problem with it is I want to sort of rail against it and say, oh, no, because, you know, zonal marking, blah, blah, blah. You know, they've all got systems and they've worked out that this is the best way of doing corners. But he is right. Like, if there was a bloke standing there, he probably would have headed it away. So,
4: But oddly enough, it happened to be another case study for the... um... Is the player interfering with play standing in front of the goalkeeper debate? And of course, if there had been a player in the post, that wouldn't have been an issue. So uh, um, that's that's precisely why teams don't put players on the post. I'm told, but
2: that's that's uh, too much technical, but too much tactical. I, I did knowledge. I did love the delivery though, and I, I, you know it, it's mm, like, it was it was sort of a Jonathan Pierce's spin on the Andy Gray um, imaginary conversation. <laughs> he, you know, he's introduced a third party into this. It's not the player yeah. talking to the to the ball. <laughs> He was speaking to everyone. He was talking to the players. He was talking to us. Sort of it's just out loud. modern football as a, as a concept is just answering the question for all of us. And the pause, the pause between modern football and
1: no Oh, the modern. Oh, the, sensational. Was
4: there anybody on the post? Modern football. Love it.
1: Usually um, the the key elements of the game's gone are sort of peripheral elements to football. You know, your, your, your flash cars or your, you know, your... Uh, colored boots, or whatever it is, but this is a very, quite a specific and uh, dare I say, nerdy tactical element to the game's gone, which I don't think you really get many other places. I, I suppose, I suppose, there's things like um, I don't know, would pa- playing out from the back. Does that classify as a uh, as a game's gone? Yeah, or
2: JP definitely doesn't like playing out from the back. I, I sympathise, but he's definitely not a fan. It's very much in the same bracket because it, it's something that is glaringly obvious. When it goes wrong, you look silly. But mm. you, never, you never get Jonathan Pearce going, and why was that defender positioned there in the six-yard box? Modern football? Because we've looked at the numbers and that's <laughs> the best way to do it.
4: We all know that you know, the average weight, you know, the sheer weight of numbers of people who probably agree with him probably um, justify the opinion alone. But, um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, um, and it was a real highlight of match today for me. Next up, a question from a topical question from Toby Warner, Nick. He says, what's the footballing equivalent of drafting in the army during a national crisis?
1: Maybe Jimmy Hill jumping from the stands and being a linesman. Oh,
4: good! Yeah. Oh that's good.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's about that, that's about right. Is that getting
4: any qualified referee in from the stands yeah. in their civvies? Yeah,
1: put like like is there a doctor on board? Is there a linesman that's in the stadium? And then there's Jimmy. Yeah. yeah.
4: That's very good. Dave, can you uh, provide any advance
2: on this? Maybe not entirely what you're going for, but I was thinking about this and Is there actually a similarity between drafting in the army and like the situation where Liverpool last year played their entire youth team in Mm. a cup? Basically, you know, you're Mm. you're sending the kids to war.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so yeah, picking a a demonstrably weakened side to get yourself through a situation. Yeah, quite like that. A couple of other suggestions, um, Nick, were for Sam Allardyce. But that's firefighter, so that's a different. That's a different arm of the um, emergency people. Yeah, that's not. Can't kind have of that. He's not the
2: army. No, it's well. No, it's an. It's a. It's a life or death situation, isn't it? When you get the firefighters in, you yeah. just, you, yeah, need to, you need than... to put the fire out. Whereas the army, it's. a different sort of situation it's it's like all usual society is broken down and we need to call in these lads to come and prop it all up again on that on that note then uh, my suggestion
4: was um gerald krasner being appointed (laughs) as your club's administrator Um, i mean it's only him or trevor birch trevor birch is doing something more important now so yeah um gerald krasner the only club administrator i can name administration does feel a little bit similar to the
2: ongoing fuel crisis. Yeah, because there's a sort of, um, you know, there's a sort of rationing element to it. There's like, we can't have any, we've, we've bad stuff's going on. We can't have any nice things. We've got to strip it down to basics and have exactly what we need to survive and not, not a penny or a morsel more. Exactly right.
4: Exactly right. Good question from Toby Warner and well answered everybody else. Um, just to prove that there is no job too small for the Football Clichés podcast, Colin Thomas asks, which players and under which circumstances can stick to their task? Hmm.
2: what does sticking to your task mean like a defensive midfielder who's been asked to man mark like Ander Herrera did it under Mourinho didn't it against Chelsea or something like that, like that across a whole game yeah like he's been asked he's been given okay. a task and he's got to stick to it I think interesting. Defi- interesting I definitely interesting think opinion. it's a defensive it's a defensive yes. thing
1: isn't it agreed or, or potentially well I, I kind of immediately it, 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 is, it is right I think it's only defensive midfielders that this can apply to because you know the modern game and all that, you know, full-backs uh, has to you know, uh, do, do a lot of attacking and so on. Uh, maybe you could say, like, it's, uh, I'm thinking in a way tie in Europe, the, you're playing four-five-one, and the lone striker has to do a, a lot of, kind of, running between, mm. you know, in the, the, the line of the penalty box and hold the ball up and stuff. That's uh, That feels like you're sticking to, they're sticking to a task. Rather more towards putting a shift in. Yeah, possibly. It, yeah. you you're still got to. Uh-huh. I'm also on the defensive midfielder thing. I, I call to mind, I can't remember who it was, but it was a, a Tottenham player scored a screamer for uh, uh, at Chelsea a few years ago, and he got a bollocking from Harry Redknapp for being out of position
0: because he was <laughs> supposed to
1: be kind of. I, 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 was that Sandro? Could have been, yeah. Should I pronounce it Sandro?
4: Sounds a bit like Sandra. Sandro. So, yeah. Sandro, let's say Sandro,
1: yes. That, that, that sounds about right. But yeah, that, that's, that, that springs to mind instantly, I think. Okay.
4: okay, the scenario I had in my head was a, a fullback diligently stopping a cross coming in. So an isolated incident. This is not an ongoing thing. The task isn't the 90 minutes. It's the individual act of stopping a cross by tracking a winger all the way and doggedly stopping that cross coming in. That's that's the sticking to the task I had in mind. I, I think, I think...
2: The, stick, the sticking implies a longer duration, I think.
4: No, because, because there was, there's endurance within that isolated incident itself. They stuck to the task for a good 10 to 15 yards, made sure that that cross didn't come in. Okay. And, and that requires an element of perseverance, I think, because you could give up. Goodness. yeah stuck to his task. If, if you hear the words, you can see the you can see the scenario in your head already. I didn't want to pull rank here. But I, and that's it. Okay. Um, but Colin Thomas, I hope you're satisfied because you got two 6 out of 10 answers and one 8 out of 10 answer. So uh, that's, that's the important thing. Sorry. Um Johnny Nixon next up. Really enjoyed this one, Dave. He brought my attention um, to Talksport 2's commentary for Everton versus Norwich at the weekend. <laughs> Now, this is a very good example of a phrase that doesn't need to exist. Um, plenty of cliches exist f- for kind of the purposes of, you know, understanding what people are talking about, giving a gist of what it is they're on about. But this is a very peculiar footballing phrase that serves no function whatsoever. Abs- it doesn't serve to emphasise anything. It doesn't illustrate anything. It just doesn't, it just isn't needed. And I, I also think that when people use it, they don't really know what it means. And this pe- could be the ultimate example. Anyway, he says, The commentator remarked, on Tim Krull having not saved a shot in anger. Can you save a shot in
2: anger? Why do people even say that anyway, let alone here? I think the proper way to use it, right, if you're saying he hasn't even had a shot in anger... Yeah, exactly. You can sort of... If you're frustrated and you're, like, not getting any good quality chances or whatever, you could just sort of smash one and... You know, oh, I'm just going to shoot from anywhere. I'm so annoyed at the situation. I'm just going to have a shot in anger. I'm angry. I'm just going to shoot. I've never
4: even thought about what it means. Do you think that's what it well, is? I, it's I, like, I, you didn't even... He didn't even do it in anger, let alone yeah. constructively. Yeah,
2: I sort of think that's kind of that's kind of the the sort of what it's getting at. But it doesn't. Yeah, it's hard you, having saving a shot in anger. You not having that. You need to have not you to have, it, to have the shot punching it yeah, away. Exactly. What would you do? God, what, go away. So just a routine, just like a routine shot that's just
1: trickling towards him, and he. Angrily boots it away. A goalkeeper can make a make a save, Let's Say his defence has kind of you know there's enormous holes opened up in the defence. Player comes clean through. The keeper advances, and you know I am obviously I am thinking Peter Schmeichel here, Um, and you know angrily bats it away like he's some kind of giant bear. I am just I am just perturbed by its usage generally, but in this case
4: seems like a flagrant example. Um, Let's let's ban that from football. Let's just ban it. It doesn't serve any purpose. Uh, I don't I, I often throw down such edicts like this, but maybe it is time to open our minds a little bit when it comes to the language of football, Dave. Because um, last week I noted the BBC Sports Sound um, tweeting a goal alert from Rangers versus Livingston. And they said Alfredo Morelos scores the doubler for Rangers, making it his fourth goal of the season. Now, instinctively, I kind of raged against it. I thought, I can't have this. But then I thought about it a little bit more. Because we spend so much time on this podcast dunking on new slash brave footballing terminology. Maybe we should be a little bit more accepting. The doubler's really good. I like the doubler.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. I think the, the, the doubler, it, def- it definitely works. But it, it also sounds like a kind of, it, it could be the a, a banter nickname from, for someone in your Sunday league team or something like that. I don't really know where it would come I, from. I
4: dread to think what image you have in your head there. But Dave, you've gone
2: curiously silent. Yeah, I was just thinking about like, I hear it in commentary. It's fine sort of written down, but you could be it. It's a goal, and that's the doubler. It's really good. (laughs) Of course
4: it works. You've got the opener, and then you have the doubler. I like the doubler. You wouldn't go tripler,
1: of course. Oh, yeah. It's not silly. The tripler. So very specifically to be used in a circumstance where it's going from 1-0 to 2-0.
4: Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely not a 2-1 to 3-1 situation. Definitely should be no room for interpretation. It should be very strictly controlled. That's what and I'm it,
1: saying. It, it, it can't be someone's personal doubler. So you, you can't... No! You, if, if a striker scores the first and the third in you know a 3-1 win or something like that, no. it can't be his own doubler. It has no. to be...
4: right. No, this is a game state situation, definitely. There's probably other ways of, of you know bagging a brace, etc. But yeah, I like the doubler. I'm going to start using it wherever I can. So watch out. Moving on. The concept of the six-pointer, Dave, has pervaded more across the continent than I'd ever thought. Here to introduce, here to set the scene, is Thomas Tuchel before Chelsea versus Manchester City. Well, it is a
0: six-pointer between, between
4: two teams. So Tuchel's happy with six-pointer. I mean, it was put to him, I have to say. So he was basically repeating it back, but right. he's obviously familiar with the phrase. So, that's, so that was a little bit of a surprise to me. That he kind of maybe I'm being very naive here, but that he knew what what the concept of a six pointer was. So that was that's quite reassuring.
2: Mm. Sort of thing that I, that that they would probably have a, a word for in Germany, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, I did sort of think, as you say, he's comfortable with it, so he gets it. But yeah, I did think he obviously he maybe he's probably more likely he's just picked it up since he's been here. But Chelsea are not. Yeah. I don't know, but I always associate I always associate six pointers with teams down the bottom. No, you're very yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, you're right. That's very much the traditional. But but, it, but it's no reason why you shouldn't use it. You know. No, I right mean it's off. the same concept.
4: Yeah. It's yeah, it's the same. Yeah, it's the same. Um, yeah, same idea. But Nick, speaking of relegation battles, Juventus's sluggish start to the Serie A season left them languishing towards the bottom end of the table. And um, Massimiliano Allegri, speaking ahead of Juventus's three-two um, comeback win over Spezia last week. Before the match, he was asked about how important this game was for their objectives for the season. And he, of course, said, Aguardare classifica uno scontro salvezza. And and scontro salvezza um, literally translates as clash for salvation. (laughs) What a a phrase. We need that. How good is clash for salvation?
1: Hundred percent need that. Don't let Sky Sports know about that. That will be that will be the the next sort of big you know Sunday. Salvation Sunday. Yeah, there was that there was that period where, the, where they would always have Arsenal v Chelsea and Liverpool v United on the same what what mega Sunday. What, what do they used to call it? Yeah, they Sorry. used
4: to have brand names for their double winners. Yeah. They don't do it anymore. It but, would have been sort of it, red versus blue unless it's derby like day. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: But what the the next they're going to engineer something where you know second bottom plays bottom and third bottom plays fourth bottom, then and there you go it's been given yeah, the those convenient
4: super Sundays where it just happens yeah. to be the teams who who need to play each other. Um, we're moving on a tangent here because it the, the, the saga doesn't end here. So Dave. Allegri uses the phrase clash for salvation, which I quite like. Then I read about the story on the BBC website and they just flagrantly translated it to relegation six pointer. You can't just do that. You can't just say. I found this really, I found, I mean, this is is a crisis for journalism. You can't just do this. It's a very special phrase.
2: Well, but they've, they've, they've quoting it via translation and they've completely changed it. It's definitely the same quote
4: and they simply took "scontro salvezza, clash for salvation and just changed it to relegation 6.0. He absolutely did not say relegation oh, 6.0. Of course he did. Scandal- not even in Italian. It's scandalous.
1: There's, it is yeah, scandalous, isn't it? I mean there's, there's there's a very fine line between kind of literal Google translate and just inserting idioms that poss- probably don't exist in the in the country. It's, it's
4: kind of just making him making Allegri sound like Harry Redknapp. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Incidentally, if Juventus's, um travails continue, we're going to have to get someone to tell us what the Italian for they'll be fine is,
4: surely. <laughs> I mean, could, you, could the Italians get more dramatic than down to the bare bones? I bet they've got <laughs> something a little bit more evocative than that. But yeah, it troubled me. And so it just goes to show that the that six-pointer perhaps hasn't pervaded Europe quite as far as we feared. Right, that was the adjudication panel. We took care of some small and medium-sized issues there and I'm very delighted that we... Uh, that we managed to um, provide some definitive resolution to it. Next up, we have a first for the Football Clichés podcast. Sort of a phone-in, in in
3: a way. Our first ever live caller on the Football Clichés podcast. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash Courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is Welcome to Wrexham, all new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu.
4: Okay, so... We're kind of dangerously close to talk sport territory here. I've this might be the first time I ever get to tell someone to turn their radio down as they call <laughs> in. Really excited by that alone. But it's a it's a very warm football cliche's welcome to John Evans. How are you doing? I'm really good, Adam. How are you? Very well, thanks. Um Dave knows this story. Nick absolutely doesn't know this story, but that doesn't matter. Nobody listening knows it either. John, tell us the story you wrote to me about recently.
5: Oh, well, basically when we were, myself and two friends were 14 or 15, we decided to enter the world of professional transfers. Right. Um, Why we did it, I can't think of any other better reason than it was a good laugh. Why we thought it would actually be successful is a totally different matter. It's insane, but it did actually work. We were all obsessed with lower league football. Um, I'm an Oldham fan. My friend was a Berry fan. Oldham had been in the Premier League, but we were more obsessed with the lower leagues. Even now, I'm more interested in workman-like centre midfielders or box-to-box midfielders and stuff, and Penenkas and Rabonas. Yeah. So we kind and we'd grown up with guys like Eric Hall and Melstein, football agents. We were playing the early versions of Championship Manager, and we figured that this transfer market must be a piece of cake. Uh, let's give it a go. <laughs> right. um, the catalyst was that Oxford United appointed a new manager. Uh, I think, I believe his name was Malcolm Shotton. And okay. we figured that it might sound very naive. It might sound stupid. We figured that if we'd never heard of him, nobody else would. So we'll pretend to be the Oxford United manager uh, and try and do some transfers. And as naive <laughs> and stupid as it sounds, we were actually proved right. Nobody had heard of Malcolm Shotton. And right, went from
4: there. So, okay, so... I mean, by what process did you do this? Was it, what, did you go to a phone box? Did you call from your house?
5: Yeah, we, this was before the days of mobile phones. So there's a, yep. a phone box. It's still there, probably about two miles behind. <laughs> um, we would go armed with a pocket full of 20p's and 50p's and 10p's. <laughs> and a crucial, crucial fact in this story, a, a football record book. Now, it wasn't yes. the Rothmans. It was a one of the cheap ones you could get. Uh, that was oh, A knockoff cool, Rothmans? A knockoff Rothmans. Oh, that this is a good, lovely little angle. Box. Okay. Um that gave us facts. It gave us details about loan spells. It gave us uh, records of injuries and whether this guy would be suitable for our team. And then it was a case of choose a player, choose a team, ring the main number in this football records book and ask for secretary to be put through to the manager. And that was it. It was as simple as that. It worked every single time. Every single time. Every single time. What kind of managers are we talking about here, just oh, to kick off with? You name them. Uh, we started off with the lower leagues because that's where we were comfortable. Um, yeah. So we were going for people like Shrewsbury Town, Jake King, um Stan Ternan at Berry, uh Andy Ritchie at Oldham. And then we moved up. You know, we started getting overconfident. We got Roy Evans. We got Martin O'Neill. We got Barry Fry. Uh, it that it is really a, did get... That's amazing. Because, like...
2: You know, especially the last three names there: Roy Evans, Barry Fry, Martin O'Neill. I mean, well, maybe less so Evans, but O'Neill and Barry Fry are not sort of characters I think who would take any nonsense. <laughs> Be quite no, difficult no, people no. to 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 kids. Like you must have you must have had a good a good <laughs> yeah. way about you. And like, did you? The first thing that sprung to mind when I heard this story was: Did you put on a voice?
5: No, <laughs> never. No, we never put on voices. Uh, we never cracked. And I think this is just from being so obsessed with football from such a young age, you're fluent in the language of football cliches. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, we'd be stood around this phone box. And I don't want you to think this was three teenagers giggling around a telephone, a payphone. You know, we all had our own deals going on with different managers. (laughs) So we would, the initial contact was crazy. So you'd ring the secretary, you'd say, look, I'm new to the job. Um, I don't have any contacts. Please, could you put me through to a manager's office? At that point, it was a case of holding your nerve. You know, the phone's ringing in the manager's office. Is he going to buy it? Every time he, they did, yes. Yeah. So we'll use Jake King as an example at Shrewsbury. You just got into it with him. You know, he started talking about the mess your predecessor had left, for the, the problems of working in, around the lower leagues, the chairman's being tight with his purse strings. And then, <laughs> did, you say, did you use the word purse, purse strings? Oh, I'm God, it. I wish you had. But then that would have been fine. we knew plausible transfers as well. you know we'd seen these players for years. I, I knew about Tony Rigby at Bury. I knew about Devon <laughs> White at Shrewsbury town and so we, we would ask him, you know what's the availability of Devon White and someone like Jake would give you oh, I don't Devon's a, a crucial part of our team you know he's he's a good he's a fucking great lad Devon. that's the one quote that always sticks in my mind. Devon White <laughs> is a fucking great lad um, and we, we would ask about what kind of fees he was interested in and you know he, He'd give us a figure, and then we'd say, oh, well, you know, it's a bit steep. We'll have to go and speak to our chairman. I'll call you back tomorrow. Um, sometimes they would give you a direct price. You know, price. sometimes you would make an offer, and he'd have to go to his chairman. What um, sort of figures are we talking about here? Oh, you're up to... I, I remember making an inquiry for Andy Priest from Stockport, and it was $200,000. you are just,
4: <we're> just <laughs> saying this really breezily, which is the best bit of this
5: story. <laughs> it's something that uh, I've lived with for, like, 20 years. <laughs> Sometimes it still makes me laugh. Yeah, so that's how it would go about. If, if we arranged to call the next day, we would give him a telephone numbers, call, phone number, and he, we would be stood outside a telephone box waiting for, say, Cambridge United manager to see if our bid for a centre-half had been accepted. Absolutely and sensational. It was a, it was fantastic. How old were you at this time, just be clear? Oh, I must have been 13, 14, 15. <laughs> I literally cannot think of
4: something more fun to do at the age of 13 or 14, oh, ring up football clubs trying to buy their football players yeah. as a prank. Uh, so... So, you know, you started you started fairly kind of conservatively. You would you you would sort of tapping up lower league managers. Yeah. You thought they might be a bit easier to win rounds. But then you started to
5: kind of get a bit braver. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah, nobody had a clue. Uh, and also at this point, we then realised that nobody knows who Malcolm Shotton at Oxford is. Nobody knows who any of these lower league managers are. So we just pretend to be anybody. Um, <laughs> I have told this story to someone before, and he I got mixed up. Um, Kevin, we rung Kevin Keegan once and Keegan, we got to his answer phone and boys being boys at this time, it's the only mistake we made. My friend thought it would be highly amusing to leave my home phone number instead of a phone box number. And when Kevin Keegan rung back to answer our inquiries, my mum answered the phone. (laughs) (laughs) He asked for John and she got told that John was at school. (laughs) Kevin Keegan, very much the
4: the <laughs> constant running theme of great content on this podcast. I'm glad he's popped up. Um, I mean, so how 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 high up did this go?
5: I think that we got um, the phone number for Alex Ferguson at the cliff. That was a nerve-wracking phone call, but he didn't, He never answered and he, he never replied. I think Martin O'Neill is probably the highest profile one. Roy Evans, training ground number at Liverpool, we definitely got. Uh, when we called the... Premier League managers would be inquiring about promising loan players, you know, who'd be gaining experience for coming down the lower leagues for a month. Good move, In Felix. those days, loan periods were a month, weren't they? So, um, yeah, that's how we'd go about the bigger manager, but the lower league we were always a little bit more guarded because they were our rivals, and we were really <laughs> good at it. Really good at it. It culminated as well. <laughs> My friend called up and placed a bid. He actually called Oxford and he placed a bid for Nigel Jemson. Um, I think he offered a swap deal for a guy called Tony Rigby. Swap <laughs> <Up> deal!
3: <laughs> Bloody hell!
5: And, anyway, this gained a bit of interest. You know, the phone calls went backwards and forwards for a few days, and then the, you know, it he, he went dead, and we got bored of doing this and went quiet. And lo and behold, a couple of months later, Nigel Jensen signed for Berry for one hundred thousand pounds. <laughs> Absolutely astonishing.
4: Sensational. <laughs>
1: There, the, the, there are two things that um, that uh, have sprung to my mind. One is that I'm impressed that you managed to do this without, by the sounds of it, without the service of a, a usable fax machine. Yes. Um, to yeah, um, and if I was the manager involved, this is where I would smell the rat. But the other, <laughs> th- the other thing that I really enjoying is like, let's say, uh, three weeks after this, Shrewsby play Oxford. Yeah. And the two managers start having a conversation and they say, oh, are you still interested in Devin White? And <laughs> there'd be, uh, what do you mean, Devin? No, uh, what do you mean I'm not interested? No, I don't, I've don't. never been interested in Devin White. No, but we had that, we spoke on the phone the, the other week. What, did we not? Uh, I, I thought you, you you said you were interested in, and uh, no, he wasn't available, but he might be available now. So, And then the absolute bafflement before a game or, you know, uh, in the, the traditional... the
4: ripples what? that were sent through English football by this.
5: Well, I, I assume that's exactly what happened with Nigel Jemison. <laughs> yeah. uh, if, if you Google search uh, Nigel Jemson transfer, the, the stories are there. It's actually reported in the press um, and Jemison did sign. But yeah, but I'm, I'm sure there were times when I was at Oldham Games or my mate was at Berry Games when the managers who we'd been speaking to not the day before were there. And we, But we never, ca- we never cracked, we never told them it was That's a joke. That's the
4: best thing about this, is your sheer
5: discipline throughout. Well, we we began to take it quite seriously. You know, We were interested if, <laughs> if we could tempt a, a winger from Scarborough or something like that. You know, it became quite a challenge to just see how far along the line we could get with this.
2: I've got an image of you and your mates sort of d- popping down to the phone box every day, all dressed in suits with briefcases, <laughs> sitting on a bench with your papers.
1: The other, th- the other th- image I quite like is if you've got, as you say, you go to the game and the manager you've been speaking to from the phone box just days before is in front of you and you start shouting or heckling and the manager suddenly goes, hang on a minute, I know that voice. Now,
4: this detail may be lost to the midst of time, but to ask you anyway, give me a sort of range of expenditure here. How many 20p's? are we talking how much did you spend on ringing football
5: clubs trying to buy their players oh god in those days you know a pound was a lot wasn't it to spend in a phone box so yeah I'm, I'm, I was trying to remember when this went actually happened and it must have been like half term and around those types of, you know maybe coming towards the end of a transfer window or but yeah it must have been like every day for I'm guessing like two or three months do you, you ever um, do you ever do
2: you ever think to yourself did that actually happen was it all yeah. a dream? Am I just imagining this? It, it sound because obviously I'm, I'm convinced by your retelling of it, but it's the sort of thing that I might if, it, if I did it. I think I might
5: get to an age and think, did we actually do that? Yeah, oh, even yeah, like I say, even now it it still makes me laugh when I think about it. When I when I I can still hear Jake King's voice in my ear saying, <laughs> "Devin White, yeah, he's a fucking great lad. he would know, <laughs> be great for the dressing room and." <laughs> it's things in like a that. circle. This is absolutely sensational.
4: Okay, so I've done some. I've done some very, very crude maths here. Yeah. So if you were making, say, three phone calls a day, <laughs> trying to sign players um, for your non-existent football club for three months, it's only about fifty quid.
0: Yeah, yeah. If I... you said
4: to if you said to a thirteen-year-old, "Here's fifty quid. Go and have the best summer of your entire life," I think that's pretty <laughs> much good value. And
5: we were also getting calls in return as well. You know, we'd be. <laughs> but, but one of the tricky. Th- I want, I do remember one of the tricky things we did was obviously there was no. Phone number showed up. You know, the phone would ring. We didn't know which manager it was. We were deep into this. You know, we had course, deals yeah. going with four or five clubs. And uh, one of us would just have to pick up the phone and they never even twigged on did to you, that. Did you... um These guys were so desperate to do deals.
2: When you picked up the phone, did you have a... Did you just say, hello? Did you say, uh, Oxford United? Or, hello, Malcolm Shotton speaking?
5: Yeah, yeah. It'd be like, uh, hello, Malcolm Shotton speaking. Or, if we knew who was calling at a time, we would just say, oh, hi, Jake. You know, and, and try and bring it on them. <laughs> Yeah, we were... I, I can't believe how good we were at it. And, uh, like I Maybe. said, we never slipped up.
4: You should have created this narrative that Malcolm Shotton was really tight and yeah. reversed the charges. <laughs> Imagine, like, calling up Sir Alex Ferguson or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, Could you accept this reverse charges come from Malcolm Shotton? The, the, other, the, the, thing do, loan.
5: the other thing I do sometimes feel, I, I do sometimes feel a bit sorry for Malcolm Shotton. You know, this is his first <laughs> his first job, and I don't know if we made it more difficult for him or, or what, but... Um, Poor Malcolm Shotton.
1: Are you still friends with the, the, the guy that you used to do this I've with?
5: lost... I, I, I still see one of them out and about every now and then. I've lost touch <laughs> with the other
1: one. Um, what do you now, say when you see him? It. What do you say? How do you possibly talk about anything else <laughs> when you see them?
5: I don't know. We just kind of... We were friends for 15, 20 years after we did this. Uh, and we just stopped talking about it. Just never what better bond could there be? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does make me laugh when I see just how pedantic football is now when you can't even speak to the players. And in those days, it was literally three 13-year-olds with 20 Ps and a, a yearbook getting quite highly involved in professional transfers.
1: Sorry, here's another question. Did um, How long did these, did these conversations ever go on for long enough for, and this is one for the kids, for the pips to start going in <laughs> your... Um, so you had to put another 20p. Oh, in. yes.
5: Sometimes we were on the phone for a long time with these guys. You know, it wasn't like a, a two-minute, um, would you be interested in selling uh, Ian Um No. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Well, we, we'd then start talking about who would be available in the squad and, and things like that, and weaknesses we had in our own squad. You know, we knew the injury situation. If someone had been injured, we were quite capable of pushing them for further information. Our other suitable players, they might be able to send us, you know.
2: Did did anyone ever put you on the back foot? Like, uh, because I'm imagining, like... Someone's asked you a question you don't know the answer to, but you're thumbing through your knockoff Rothmans yeah. in the manner of a radio caller on a quiz who's on Google. And there's a suspicious pause between them and then very confidently answering five seconds later.
5: I, I, I don't want to make up, make up answers because, you know, I'd, I'd be casting my mind back, but I can never remember being caught out. I can, like I say, I, I dare say any of you guys could just do it tomorrow. When you, when you can talk in the I'm football. I'm going to try. When you're talking <laughs> football cliches, you can hold a conversation. You know, you, you can talk rubbish, you can say a lot without saying much with these guys. It's, they speak in a, a totally unique language. So,
4: two more things to ask. First of all, um, I kind of put it to you that at the age of 13 to 14, when you're kind of sort of uh, mindlessly devouring a Rothmans or the equivalent and playing something like Championship Manager,
2: mm-hmm.
4: your kind of knowledge, your kind of encyclopedic knowledge of football, current football, probably can't get more definitive than that. no. I uh, I mean at your age now could you could you possibly list that many players
5: impossible. and where they are and what they're doing? No, impossible. At, at that time you collect. we were collecting the Do you remember Pro set cards for your training oh, yes. cards? We were create, we were collecting those and reading the back of them and the perfect amount of information you'd need. Yeah. So we we knew every player from the lower leagues uh, just by looking at these pro sets or or playing Championship Manager from 1996 97 whatever it was. We knew everything. Um We probably knew more about the lower leagues than Martin O'Neill. You know, as crazy as it sounds. Did your parents ever get wind of it? They were like, what are you doing down that phone box all day? Yeah, I used to tell them, yeah. Like, my mum answered (laughs) the phone to to Kevin Keegan, didn't she? But I used to go home and say, we've just had um, Roy Evans on the phone. Yeah, just laugh.
4: In a fascinating circle of life situation for this podcast, um, the former Newcastle defender John Anderson, who we featured earlier in this um, episode for his sensational co-commentary, once had his uh, cheekbone shattered by Malcolm Shotton. <laughs> did you realise at the time that Malcolm Shotton, it turns out, had one of the most feared reputations as a player? <laughs> so if he ever found out, did you ever worry about him finding out?
5: Yeah. yeah <laughs> God, you, when, when you're that age, you worry about everything. You worry about them tracing. Well, are we going to trace the phone? And is he someone that turn <laughs> up at the phone box? But no, I, I can honestly it's... say everybody, nobody was difficult to speak to. I don't have a bad memory of any single person we spoke to. I don't remember anybody just shutting us off and, and being rude. Everybody was very willing to do business with these three 13-, 14-year-olds.
1: It's a sensational. If if Malcolm Shotton does have, did have this reputation for being a hard man, you can th- imagine Jake King or whoever answering their phone goes, oh, he sounds surprisingly like a 13-year-old boy for someone who's uh, smashing jaws all, <laughs> all over the place.
4: Yeah, this is, it's definitely a p- post-voice-breaking um endeavour isn't it definitely well there you go John Kiergerupcian Evans <laughs> <laughs> absolutely sensational story I'm really gl- really glad we did this um, if anyone ever has a story to rival this please get in touch and we, we might make this a semi regular feature but John thanks for joining us absolutely stunning stuff and well done well done on your discipline well done on your research
5: <laughs> thank you yeah thanks for having me on I hope people enjoy it's always made me laugh over the years <laughs>
4: There's only one thing left for this episode, Nick, and that is Premier League Years playlist bingo. You know the drill by now. I want a number between 1 and 1379.
1: I'm going to have 578, please. Wow. In Your Eyes by Kylie Minogue. This is
4: very, very Premier League Years. Is it? Yeah, I think so. So. Well, this is quite. This is quite low down the list. Well, maybe we sort of maybe turn of the millennium,
1: I
2: guess. Is this? Yeah, like two thousand and one. Post. Can't get you out of my head. Sort of second or third single off that album. She's had a big, big, proper, big smash comeback hit.
1: Yeah. I think this is. Um, I'm
4: lost for this one. I don't know the scenario.
1: I, I think this is kind of uh, maybe successful club in some kind of turmoil, perhaps about to uh, sack a manager or something. Um, All I've got
4: is a close-up of a manager's eyes. Actually, yeah. The moment she says, "In your eyes." Possibly. It's
1: a, it, it's a. It's a montage of you know Chelsea losing a load of games or something. Yeah, I I,
4: maybe actually this is a good point. Maybe it's one of their special little montages they do, Dave, of, of certain things happening like. Not bloopers necessarily in this situation. No, well. I, yeah, a very specific type of thing happening, and they make a little montage of it yeah. for that season. I think and they just drop it in out of nowhere. Yeah,
2: I think you're right. I don't necessarily think the "In Your Eyes" thing has a relevance to, as as, oft, as we've said, the title doesn't often relate to the thing. I think this is probably just a song of the time with a an appropriately sort of um, upbeat, sort of dance, sort of tempo to it. But they can just sling under something that they need to run for a, for. A, 45
4: seconds okay so yeah some very important matters covered um uh, a mouse would beat a cat by default at a game of chess that's well established um there are no cup finals in formula one again um david teeman will continue to chuckle forevermore and uh malcolm Shotton has something to answer for or at least something to find out about and get very angry about indeed um thanks very much to you dave for joining us for the education panel today thank you and thanks to you nick Thank you. See everyone for episode 99. Aww.
3: Athletic.